have a finance job opening at our nonprofit, and one of our board members plans to apply for this position. As the executive director who has to work with this board member, I have some concerns. How can I fairly do interviews given this inherent power dynamic that exists? If I decide that this person is not right for the job, then what happens and how will that impact our future working relationship? Do you have any suggestions on how to handle this delicate situation? Yikes. This is, the, this is a super ugly question to answer, isn't it? It okay. is. It's sticky. Yeah. So, so I, I think, so my first, my first instinct was like, maybe, maybe you need to have a conversation with your board chair before anything else happens to let the board chair know that this, this situation exists. Um, because it seems to me, I mean, first, okay, let me just start here. Congratulations. You are obviously doing a really, really good job because in in a in a situation where somebody that's on the board who sees what the board sees wants to join staff is says that you're doing a fantastic job says that you're doing really really good work and they feel comfortable enough to make that move from a position where they have literally no responsibility or maybe maybe literally they do have responsibility but use none of their responsibility to something where they do have responsibility that says that you're probably in a pretty good position so so congratulations on that <laughs> but the the you're right about that power dynamic being really really uncomfortable because then you're you're sort of in a no win situation if you do hire that person that person's going to have to 100% resign from the board so they won't they you can't have those two jobs you can't be on the board well you shouldn't be on the board and be the finance position right it's your organization that's that doesn't make any sense um and if they don't get the job they're still on the board so so maybe maybe the solution is is to talk to your board chair and say if you're serious about this from this position I need you to resign from the board before you apply so that there's no no difficulty in that situation and if this person really super believes that they're the best person for the job and they really really want that job and they recognize that they're going to need to resign from the board anyway to take the job maybe they will say yes to that and that will sort of solve the solve the power dynamic problem because then you're no longer talking you're no longer interviewing a board member for a staff position you're interviewing a human for a staff position which might be an easier thing to do um if and if that's not the case which is why i thought maybe the board chair should be involved if, if you can't get that person to resign from that board position from accepting sorry, to resign from the board position before they apply for the position on staff i think that's your answer that's that that no you don't want that person to you know you're just gonna dismiss that person out of hand um and then that's something that the board needs to be able to handle understanding that that's just happened um i've never in my practice i've never seen this have you ever seen this exact scenario stacy I have. And have. Okay. Uh, yes. And interestingly, um, to your point, the the board member actually did resign. Um, they this particular organization had a policy in place that if a board member were ever to like they literally had something proactively, and I'm sure there's some story wow. about why that exists, but I actually think that's a super smart idea because this happens in the sector more than people ever talk about, um, usually not for a, like a mid-level management or a 
upper level management. Usually it's like a board member moves into an ED role. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, I know of an organization that did this. So they had the policy. So the board member knew they had to step off and resign um, and ended up getting hired at this organization and has done marvelously well, but has literally, it's been kind of fascinating listening to the, the finance person talk about how his eyes have been opened now to how difficult and complex like nonprofit finances are, particularly this organization gets a lot of government grants. So um, a lot of like tracking and coding and just all of the stuff that people don't have to worry about in a for-profit finance position, but overall it's working really well. So, um, so I think it can work, but, but I agree with you. I absolutely would recommend that there either be a proactive policy put in place that if board members choose to, you know, apply for some position that prior to that, they have to resign from the board. Um, and another, another thing though, I still think is important, even if you have that policy is to think about if you can truly be objective as the executive director in that, in that, you know, recruiting process, because I'm going to speak for myself, but if I were in this position, I would be thinking a lot about the board members' performance, their, you know, all the things you know about this person before they apply. And maybe I've had my own judgments, good, bad, or indifferent about this person. So I think this may be a good opportunity for an executive director to also pull in perhaps a couple of people, not, not fellow board members, because they're not going to be objective either, but perhaps, you know, someone like you, Andy, that's got finance background and expertise, that they could say, hey, Andy, will you volunteer, you know, an afternoon of your time to come in and help us think through, you know, like, here's the lay of the land of our organization. Here's what we're, you know, looking for. And maybe ask some of the tougher questions or ask some of the questions that, that I may have blinders on. So I think there's also an opportunity to perhaps um, kind of add a couple of, you know, additional outside expertise to the process to, to help make it more objective, because I do think it's really, really tough in a situation like this to, to not kind of walk into it with, with some kind of baggage in your head about this person. I think that's true of any, any hire when you're hiring somebody and that, that any internal person is applying for it in addition okay. to external persons, right? This is, that's the same okay. scenario. And, and, you know, I don't know that, you know, I don't, I don't know that. I mean, in, in some cases, yeah, the internal person has baggage and we've seen, we see that with ED positions, right? So the, the old ED leaves and then the board has to select a new ED and inevitably there's a slate of candidates, sometimes internal as well as external candidates and, and the boards, you know, that, that baggage you bring with you, that's, that's that work experience and ethic and who yeah. you are as a person that the board's going to take that into consideration when they decide whether or not they're going to elevate somebody to that ED position. So I don't know that that's a, a bad thing. I do like your idea of bringing in someone who may, especially if it's, um, if you want to have sort of a disinterested third party that can ask specific questions, I don't think that's a bad idea, especially if it's a, a technical position that you don't feel comfortable answering question, asking questions about. Um, that's, that's not a bad idea. Um, we've brought in, you know, frequently you can bring in a board member to, to be on the, the selection committee. Like if, so 
um, and this is pretty common, right? You're, you're hired, the ED is hiring a new top financial person. And so yep. they'll have the treasurer as part of the, the interview panel. So, yeah. Yeah. I think that's super smart. And, um, and, you know, I've seen, it seems like finance is one of those positions that that happens a lot in as well as development directors, because the development directors will be working so closely with the board. Um, I mean, I think the key for, for boards, board members who are listening to this is to always remember your ED still makes the decision. So you may serve on that panel or you may provide your insight and ask questions, but at the end of the day, it's the ED's decision. So um, like it or not, they get to make that decision. You're just sort of helping, helping the process, so. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with my fantastic and really smart co host, Stacy Wedding. Today, we have uh, several really interesting questions as well as an expert, uh, guest expert today, which is which is always good because it's just not Stacey and me talking. Uh, today's episode, or as all episodes are, is presented by the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. If you, the, One of the best ways to support the podcast is to join the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Um, there's lots of good and member benefits. I'd recommend that if you like the podcast and you like what we're doing, the best way that you can support us is by becoming an and member. The second best way you can support us is by asking us a question. Uh, so the way the podcast works is people send us questions. Stacy and I do our best to not embarrass ourselves by answering them. And when we would embarrass ourselves, we just go and find a guest expert that can actually answer the question properly. And new for this, from starting from now until we run out, every time somebody sends us a question, if you include your, your address, I will send you a nonprofit everything sticker uh, suitable for sticking on things. <laughs> so make that your incentive. See if you can get a sticker. Send us a good question. I'll send you a sticker. Heck, send us a bad question. I'll send you a sticker. And with that, here we go. We are a small nonprofit with limited bandwidth. I'm wondering if it is okay to include our end of year letter inside our Christmas card. It would save us time to just do one mailing instead of two. Well, I mean, it's okay, but it's not desired. Like it's not your preferred choice, right? So that's that's my answer on this. Like, I, I just want to sort of go, don't do it, don't do it. Um, you know, I just, I'm a believer that there two touch points is always better than one. Like, and you could use this as two touch points. I know that it's time you know, it's extra time, it's extra money. I, I get that. And yet, you know, we're, we're in the season, this time of year is, is the busiest time of year for, for charitable giving, especially in a year of, of tragedy that we've seen. So um, I would hate to see you miss out. Like, I think there's two touch points, one that's truly like more of a stewardship opportunity and one assuming the end of year letter is an ask or appeal letter, one that's an opportunity to maybe ask for something else, but you sort of, um, just because it's the right thing to do, say thank you and like holiday wishes, which side note, I'm hoping um, the person who wrote this is thinking of holiday versus Christmas, because um, I know people have different takes on this, but 
I just think we have to be, as we're thinking about inclusion more these days, thinking of people of all different backgrounds and faiths. So, but I, but I absolutely think um, both, per, both of these serve two different purposes. So, so keep them separate. Yeah. So that's interesting. So I, I agree with you on, on making sure that you're inclusive when you, when you talk to your donors, but it kind of depends on your nonprofit too. Right. So, so I don't know that. Oh, right. Good point. I think it's, it, it's totally legitimate to send a Christmas card if that's who you are. I don't know that that's, I mean, I don't know. I don't get offended by much. Uh, so, but that's me, but here's my, so <laughs> willfully showing my ignorance on this. And I, I readily acknowledge that I'm not your typical donor. So what is the point of all of these things? Because I promise you every piece of holiday mail from a nonprofit that I get goes directly into the trash. Like I oh, don't open oh, anything. You don't? What, what's, what's in there? Like, I don't want a pre-printed Christmas card that says, I mean, it, I, I just don't care. It, it's like, it, it, it has no value to me whatsoever. It's not customized to me other than it's got my name printed on the front of it. Um, it's, it's never, it's never anything that gives me information about what the nonprofit's doing. Like that end of your letter, totally. The end of your letter, I think is really interesting. And if it's an organization that I care about, that I'm invested in, I want to see what they have to say. But that, but that other piece, I'm like, I'm wondering what the, like, what's the, what's the, what's the return on that thing? What's the, I, what's the okay, point of it? But, I, but, but here's my pushback. I think maybe you're just not getting the right pieces. Maybe the organization sending these to you are not because, because yes, there's ones that I look at and I go, yeah, this is a mass mailing or, oh, I've never donated to you before. And I'm on your mailing list that you purchased from somewhere. And I'm just rolling my eyes. I said that just the other night, I was like rolling my eyes, just like, okay, not even opening it up. So there's those. But organizations I've donated to and have a relationship with, I am curious to see what's inside there because I've seen it done well, right? Like I've seen it where you have a card that there's a personal note inside or that says, you know, I just, you know, this is your, at this time of year, like your gift this past year, I just want to tell you, help us do X, Y, Z. And it, it's like a personalized thing versus an annual appeal letter that certainly shares some of that in a bigger spectrum, but it just feels less personalized. So I like that little extra TLC from organizations. It just makes me feel so good. Like, I mean, and I think about Valentine's Day in particular, this time of year, it feels a little like obligation or ex expected that nonprofits do it, which I don't love that. But like Valentine's Day, there's a few organizations that just do the most clever things for Valentine's Day that are, you know, a homemade card from one of the kids they serve or whatever it is. Like, and I just, I like put these things on my refrigerator. So so you and I are super opposite of this, but I'm telling you, there's softies out there like me who like it. I'll, I'm going to take your word for it. Cause I mean, maybe, <laughs> and I think, I think it's, I think you're right that maybe I'm just getting get, I mean, it could be just sort of the, the causes that I spend money on too, is that the, like the, like, I don't, I don't spend a lot of money on children's charities. That's just not, it's not what I'm interested in. 
Um, so, so like, I don't get that kind of thing. Instead, I'll get like a window envelope, right. With, oh. <laughs> with like my name cut off at the end. Cause it's too long. <laughs> so, so the likelihood that there's anything personalized in it is zero. I mean, maybe I should start opening Maybe I'm making some poor development person really sad because they're writing these heartfelt notes to me that I'm not responding to. And maybe I should just be more <laughs> sensitive to it. Well, okay. So I'm also a nerd. So I'm going to say when I'm not wearing my donor hat, I'm wearing my consultant hat. And so I look at these things just out of curiosity to see how they're approaching them. Right. I literally have this file I keep of like cool ideas that nonprofits are using. That is just that I go, gosh, that was really well done. And I like literally just want to, I'm not, you know, it may have nothing to do with me being a donor or not, but like, I just want to like, give them a pat on the back and said, you did that right. Like you did such like a cool, you know, that was such a, you know, out of the box way of handling it. So I don't know, it's kind of for me a little morbid curiosity, but, but I will say like the, the window envelopes are the ones that get trashed. (laughs) It's the ones that maybe look like someone hand wrote something to me that, I mean, when I get something that's handwritten on the envelope, oh, I'm totally opening that. And I'm going to guess you would too. No, because it's not, it's not been postmarked. It's got the cheap nonprofit postage stamp on it. And it came from Omaha, Nebraska. And it's like clearly written by somebody who's written, like they're written my name on 10, written names on 10,000 things today. Their arm is so tired that the letters have to be. Like, I don't open those either. Okay. So maybe, so here's what I'm going to do from now on, from now until the end of the year, I'm going to open everything and I'm going to just put them in piles and I'm going to see if there's anything interesting in them. We could talk about this one after uh, the first. Yeah, this is going to be like a, <laughs> like a podcast in the new year that we need to talk about. I am, this is I like... am, I, we're going to chip away at that hard exterior of yours. So. <laughs> and, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a candy shell inside a, with a soft <laughs> exterior, I think. And through the magic of podcasting, we now have Greg Wilkin, who is our kind of go-to HR guy. Greg is the founder and CEO of Edunamo Consulting, uh, provides human resources consulting to small business and nonprofits, and we are delighted to have Greg come and help us answer this one. Well, thank you, Andy. It's it's great to be on the show again. I love what you and Stacy are doing. I'm a faithful listener, and I'm I have an opportunity to participate and contribute. I'm I'm thrilled. So, uh, thank you for the invitation. Of course. And so here's the question. This one, this one, Stacy and I were immediately out of our depth. I am a new board chair, and I was wondering how to keep track of the executive director's employee file. Right now, only our ED has access to it, and I'm wondering if that is typical. Yeah, a uh, great question, and um, be happy to answer it. So, what I um, what I could do is I'll give you a little background just about the kind of the issue of employment or personnel files in general. Kind of lay the foundation, then be happy to answer the question. So, uh, personnel files is one of those areas of human resources that's not t- particularly exciting, um, but it's very important, and it's one of those things that if you'd if you do it correctly, nobody notices, but if you do it incorrectly, sometimes it can get you in trouble. And the last thing you want is to get a request for an employee file or worse, um, rare, but you may get audited. And that's not a good time to find out that your personnel files are non-compliant. So doing it right up front 
uh, is important and it saves you trouble down the road. So just a few things about personnel files. There are three general categories of information uh, for a personnel file. First is kind of your employment information, um, application, performance review, discipline, acknowledgement of the handbook. Second is medical records. And then the third is um, I-9 forms. And those are in a good personnel um, file system, those three categories of information would be kept separately. So that just a little foundation. One other thing to mention is that there is a statute in the state of Nevada, um, as a lot of states have, that allows employees access to their personnel files. Um, two things to keep in mind about that. The first, it, the, and employees really have kind of two rights under that file. They have the right to inspect personnel file upon request, and then they have a right to be provided copies of what's in the file. So um, it's good practice to maintain good personnel files. It's also required um, under Nevada law that you have them and make them available to uh, employees. So this question um, is, it's a, a kind of a unique uh, perspective on it just because of the way nonprofits are usually organized. And that is, you know, the executive director, the CEO, whoever the senior officer is, uh, reports typically to the board and all of the other employees of the organization, if there are any, would report to the executive director. So the personnel file of the ED um, is a little bit different. Um, there are a few things that this particular board chair could do. Um, he or she could um, have, if this organization has anybody who is responsible for human resources, if they have an HR director, um, an HR manager or somebody who has the responsibility of human resources, they could maintain the ED's file with all of the other personnel files. Uh, the second place it could be kept is the executive director could maintain his or her own file um, because under Nevada law, they have a right to see it. There shouldn't be anything in it that's, um, that is uh, private. So the ED could maintain it and uh, the board chair could then have access to it. Or thirdly, the board chair could actually keep a copy of the, or keep the actual file, um, him or herself. Uh, there wouldn't be any legal issue with that. There wouldn't be an HR issue. That would really raise more kind of an administrative issue because it might be located somewhere other than the um, the nonprofit's physical location might be a little bit difficult to access it if anybody else on the board wanted to see it, but that would certainly be acceptable. And um, the uh, and then, as I said, you know, maintaining the kind of the uh, classification of information in that file would be important. So, little background about um, personnel files, and in this particular case, some options for the board chair as far as maintaining it and having access to it. So so my understanding, and, and obviously know way more about this than I do, but my understanding was that the employment information that was that was not private, but that would be like performance reviews, any any write-ups, any any information about about sort of the things that go in the employee file about the employee's work. 
um, are, are things that the supervisor typically has access to, but the supervisor in most cases shouldn't have access to medical records in the I-9, like the social security number and the information on the I-9. So, so is that, I mean, when, when the executive, I mean, it's, I think it's probably the same for any business where the top executive, um, if there's not an HR person to kind of hold on to that information, um, the, that information would probably like the I nine and the medical records would probably stay in the ED's filing cabinet, locked filing cabinet. And then the performance related HR information, performance related employee information would be something that the, the supervisor in this case, which would be the, the board chair or the board nominating committee, or if the board has some sort of executive review committee might have, be responsible for hanging on to that. You know, you can make it the the responsibility of the board secretary to keep track of that kind of documentation. Is that, am I understanding that right or am I wrong? Um, nope, that, yeah, that's correct. And, um, and, and again, in this case, because it, you know, it's, it's a somewhat of a unique reporting relationship, at least unique um, to the nonprofit world, uh, as opposed to a for-profit company uh, where the ED reports to the board chair as opposed to reporting to somebody more senior within the organization. But the um, the board chair in this case, and in fact, the entire board um, in, in that respect, because the executive director, I'm assuming, reports to the board, um, anybody on the board would have the right to view um, in any information in this uh, employment file, including medical information. Now, that's not to say it's a good idea to share medical information with the entire board. It might be just the board chair um, who sees it, but would, as you uh, mentioned, would wanna make sure that that information is kept more secure and more confidential than uh, the personnel information in the file, the the performance review, the application, um, commendations, uh, other things related to that. So it may be that the um, executive director maybe requests a medical leave of absence, uh, maybe has a uh, work, worker's comp claim. There may be medical information in the executive director's file that the board chair would would want to keep as part of the overall personnel file, just would need to keep it separate from uh, the personnel or the other employment related information and take steps to make sure that anybody who sees that would um, would know that it's uh, confidential and, and uh, take steps to protect it. Yeah, that terrifies me a little because I think that the reason that the the reason that you don't usually mix medical information with performance information is because in the event that you're sued for wrongful termination or there's some problem that that if if you don't even have to prove that it happened but you prove that you know they knew that I was sick which is why I was terminated right and if if that information is separate if the board has that information that's a that's a pretty plausible it's a pretty plausible argument in an employment suit is that the reason they fired me is because they knew I was sick. Is this, so is, so I guess in, in, you know, that, that if that's the case, because nonprofits are different, I would, that means you would definitely have to strengthen any kind of um, performance review or any kind of termination to make sure that you had sort of rock solid documentation on exactly why that 
that happened and that you would need to find some way to prove that you could plausibly deny that any kind of medical information or anything was part of that decision. Yeah, um, that yes, that's exactly right. You, you want to make sure that it's it is you know that information is segregated, so to speak, from um, from the other information. But the I mean the the reality is is that um, you know if an executive director CEO is having attendance problems that uh, become that become a reason for the termination, that in and of itself I mean. It, uh, the medical in the, it, assuming that it, you know, may, the attendance problems maybe are a result of, of a medical condition, the, um, the attendance by itself, if it's not protected leave could be a result, could, you know, be a reason for discipline or termination. And the board chair wouldn't necessarily have um, access to the medical information, but they would have access to the attendance Record. So one example where medical information would be kept separately, but the um, result of that medical information would be part of the personnel file and could be um, uh, the cause of, of discipline, depending on the circumstances. So um, it, you know, it's just uh, an example where um, the information itself uh, would need to be kept separate, but the results of that information would ne would not necessarily have to be um, kind of uh, cordoned off and kept completely confidential. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. And, and as like keeping track of CEO or executive director attendance, I know all of the board members listening just started laughing maniacally because they have. I mean, honestly, they have no idea whether or not that person's at their desk or not, or sure, <laughs> they're not. You know, it's like the kind of thing that they just would never have information on, but. Yeah, I could see. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense to me now. Is and I'm sure you would counsel anybody that if you're considering terminating somebody, that you need to make sure you've got your ducks in a row, um, and not you know, and not accidentally put yourself in risk of of immediately being sued after you make that termination. Correct. Yeah. 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 And um, and then the you know the other issue that Kate, that I thought about this particular question um, is the uh the potential scenario where uh maybe the executive director has had um a complaint or complaints from the staff and those would you know if, if any other employee other than executive director that might be part of the perform the uh, personnel file but in this case if the executive director is the one who's actually maintaining his or her own file, which is certainly a possibility. You'd need to have a separate place for um, information that might otherwise be in a personnel file, but wouldn't because uh, the executive director in this case is the one and only person who has access to it. So yeah, just a, another kind of variation on the, on the um, kind of scenario because this is uh, somewhat unique. Greg Wilkin, founder and CEO of Edunamo Consulting. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Andy. It's great to uh, talk to you again. Um, keep up the great work that you and Stacey are doing and enjoy the holidays. Thank you. You too. You made it, and I am cheerleading from the sideline because you made it. You made it to the end of this episode. 
Uh, and God, I was an awful cheerleader. So I didn't even do cheerleading. I hated the cheerleaders, Andy. I'm sure that you as a boy liked the cheerleaders. I hated them in high school. I liked everybody. <laughs> I was, I okay, was just friendly. Well, I was that one kid that was just friendly with everybody. Yeah. I had like cheerleader envy because, you know, they were always the the cute girls with all the moves. So anyways, but with that said, I am doing my um, silly Stacy cheerleading from the side because you made it if you stuck through it for a, another episode of nonprofit, everything, and uh, just appreciate you appreciate you listening and really love it when you share this with your colleagues. And uh, that's how we get more engagement and we move up the, the podcast ratings. And that's always good for um, just Nevada for nonprofits that are listening, as well as for Anne, the Alliance for Nevada nonprofits that makes this possible.